you know, one of the things, the, the privileges of being a dad, you know, I've been a dad, an earthly father now for eight years. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, now, now over that time, I've, I've been a spiritual parent, if you will, uh, to, to many more than that. And, uh, but I take, I also take that very seriously. You know, first Corinthians four fifteen uh, says that you have many, many teachers, but not many fathers. And I believe that, that there, if there's ever been a time in history, uh, for, for, for men of God to rise up and be fathers of those that, that aren't really their natural born, born children, I think that that time is now. And, uh, Jesus didn't just call us to, you know, to, to reproduce, but Jesus actually called us to father. And this, this isn't a masculine thing. But it's, but it's a spiritual thing that God has called us all to father people. We call that discipleship. Are you with me? And I mean, you know that Jesus didn't just say, go to the world and preach. The, the, the Great Commission, and we're, we're talking a little bit about our church right now, but the Great Commission is not about evangelism. The Great Commission is about discipleship, and that's what fathering is. And uh, I've had the privilege of, of being, you know, a spiritual father uh, to many, many, many children, and, uh, and it is, it, it's, it's such a great pleasure. And then I have the pleasure also of being an earthly father uh, to my kids. And I can tell you that, um, that there is a great awe that comes with this responsibility. I remember when Mariah was born, she was born in our home in El Paso, and I remember looking at her and thinking that I am responsible for this child. And I remember just being something hit me at that moment that I had a greater responsibility than I've ever had. I've always felt that way spiritually over, you know, spiritual sons and daughters that I would raise up. But, but this like took it to a whole nother level because it's, it's more than just certain issues of their life. It's like, I'm responsible for raising them completely. I have to provide for them financially. You know, all these things just hit me. And, um, so there's an awe of responsibility. It comes up upon you as a man when you have children and there's this whole, I remember my older brother told me right after Mariah was born, and he has kids, and, and uh, right after Mariah was born, he's like, man, she's perfect. And I, I remember telling him, I'm just going to do my best not to screw it up, not to screw up the perfect gift that God had given me. And I think a lot of times as fathers, that's kind of where we stand. And maybe, maybe women don't think of it this way, but I know that I do. I think of that a lot of times, like one of the things that really plagues my mind. And, and you could call it a fear if you want to, but it's really with my kids. It's like, I just don't want to screw this up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got to get this right. I've done a lot of things in my life. I can't mess this one up. This is the most important. And, um, I'm grateful that I have a good Abba Father, a heavenly Father that I can look to whenever I'm weak, whenever I screw. Because, man, I make mistakes as a dad every day. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but I'm glad that I have a heavenly Father that never makes mistakes, that I can consult him for his wisdom, who can teach me, that I can learn from, from his attributes and his perfect fatherhood to help me out. Um, several years ago, I, I knew that we were on this series. I wanted to share for this passage of scripture. When I was a, a teenager, you can go ahead and roll that clip. When I was a teenager, um, my dad took us to Branson, Missouri uh, for this trip. And we went to this thing called the Great Passion Play. And before the Great Passion Play, they had this uh, man that came dressed out in biblical garb. And he began to take this clay and he began to put it on a potter's wheel and he began to form this clay. And I remember looking at that. I remember being so marked by this moment. I wasn't even saved, but I remember being so marked in this moment about this man. I mean, it really took me back to biblical times. And so, and I remember him sharing from this passage of scripture right here in Psalms chapter 40. It says this, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, 
And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet up on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now you might think, well, what does that scripture have to do? Shouldn't you use a little a scripture that is a little bit more appropriate with, you know, like you are the potter, I am the clay. Yeah, that scripture is totally important, but you, what you got to realize is the psalmist here, what he's talking about when he's saying you're taking me out of the miry, miry clay, when a, when a potter of biblical times, it wasn't just like they would go to the to the local market and buy some clay. They actually had to go out and they had to find their own clay. And so where the best clay was, it would be like a pit of this slick mud. And you, you guys have ever seen clay before. When it's damp, it's very slick and it's very moldable. It's pliable, but it's solid. If you've ever played with molding clay before, you know that it, it's pliable. You can move it, but it's solid. It's, it's hard, yet it can be molded. And so I remember this, this man sharing this story about how a a potter, what he would do is he would go out many times to look for his clay that he was going to make his next pot out, that he was going to make his next, next vessel out. And when he would go out, it said that, that, that many times that the, the potter would actually slip in when he was trying to gather clay and fall into this pit, a slimy pit. And so what would happen is, is he's going out trying to get what he needed to make a living probably for his family. He falls into this place of the muck and the mire, and he's trying to get out, and he can't because it's slick. It's solid, but he's slick, and he's stuck in this, and he needs the help of another one to come and pull him out. So when David, the psalmist, is talking about this right here, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. I was in a pit. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry. He was in a pit. He was crying out, God, would you hear me? And then it says he picks him out of the muck and the mire, and he sets him on a solid place, out of the slimy pit, and sets him on a solid place. And I remember as I was sitting in that moment watching this potter, as he's, as he's before he does anything, he says that, that God picks us out out of the mire, and he puts us on a rock, boom, and he lays it on this rock, and then he begins to turn the wheel of this rock. And once we are on this solid place, God begins to take and with the water of his spirit and the water of his word begins to put that on us and begins to mold us into the people we were created to be. And I believe that as a father, this is what God does. He pulls us out of, of the slimy pit, out of the muck and out of the mire, of all the junk, and he puts us on this place that's not just stable, but it's also right in the hands of the potter. And by his spirit and by his word, he molds us and he creates us into the men and to the women that he wants us to be. And then, then David goes on to say this. He says that he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O oh Lord, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak of them, they would be too many to declare. So tonight... Take a journey with me as I talk about three qualities that are shared by my personal heavenly father and my personal earthly father. Because you know that God is also your personal heavenly father. He is the heavenly father. And only because he's the heavenly father can he be your personal heavenly father. But I want to share some stories tonight about my earthly father. Is that okay? Things that, that I learned about God that my dad learned from God. Come on, if you're with me. And, and, and I've seen in my life. And the first the first quality that I found out about my dad is just like we were talking about in this story is that he is rock solid. He is rock solid. And I love that. Back to that verse. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Um, my dad 
was a preacher's son. His dad's name was Sam Brown. My dad's name is Larry Brown. That's him there on the right. And that was um, my older sister who's with the Lord now. Or, I'm sorry, my younger sister is with the Lord now. His name is April. And that little guy back in the back playing with toys, that's me in the back there. And that, that's, I was just like Judah at that age, just, you know, wanted to play with my toys and all that kind of stuff. And this picture on the left, that's my granddad. And that was my dad's dad. And my dad's dad, I, I, don't, I don't remember him really well, but, but I remember some of the qualities. He wasn't a perfect man. My earthly father wasn't a perfect man, but there were qualities that they learned from God. Are you with me? And, you know, it, it makes me very proud when I hear that my, my granddad was a preacher. You know, he is a Pentecostal preacher. And, and man, I'm, I'm so fascinated by that. I want to know, like, the encounters that he had with the Lord. And I want to know how God called him. And there's a Facebook page that our family has, and they put, you know, kind of relics from our past on there. One of them is his papers of ordination. That was a big deal back in those days as a preacher to be ordained. That was like a doctor in those days. Preachers were highly regarded. And uh, so I saw those papers like, man, if I could just touch those papers, it would mean so much to me. And and I know that many of the, the traits that my earthly father learned were from his earthly father, my granddad. And that's my dad. I love that picture of my dad because he looks so stinking awesome. You know, got to be the early 80s, late 70s there. And with that awesome beard and, you know, awesome Arkansas Razorback shirt. And, and I just, I love that picture because it shows a father's love. But my dad, and you guys have, some of y'all met my dad. He's, he's, a, he's a big man. My dad's very big. He's about six foot. Uh, he, at his prime, he was about six foot five. The years have been hard on him. His bones have settled a little bit. But my dad is a, is a big man. And I remember as a kid always thinking, man, you know, maybe one day I'll be as big as my dad. Maybe one day I will be as strong as my dad. And one of the things that my dad, if you've ever met my dad, my dad has enormous hands. Like they are, are huge. It's like he's big, he's tall, but then he's got hands that are like, like he's eight foot tall. I mean, his hands are gigantic. And I remember as a kid, uh, those hands, they could mean one or two things. They could be uh, really good to receive from those hands, or it could be really bad to receive from those hands. Are you with me? Because sometimes those hands would, would spank my butt, and sometimes those hands were to bless me, but they were always driven uh, by love. And uh, I, I remember one time in, in, in the most difficult season of my life, and I remember I was in the car and my dad, and my dad looked at me with teary eyes and he said, son, he said, my, my whole life, he said, I've been able to take these big hands and fix everything. He's like, but I can't fix every, and I can't fix this issue. I can't fix what's going on in your life. But, but the cool thing about my dad is he knew that the heavenly father would take over from there. Are you with me? The heavenly father would take over from there. The things that he couldn't handle, he always pointed me to that. My dad is solid, and I love that so much about him. He hasn't always been solid in his life. You would talk to him, he was up and down. But for me, I've always known him as this rock, solid man. And he gets that from his heavenly father. And I love it that we share a heavenly father. Isn't it awesome that we could share a heavenly father? And uh, my, my earthly father always did what he could to, as a human to be the rock uh, for his family. Uh, and again, when his, when his earthly ability was exhausted, his heavenly father, he would always allow him to step in. And that's not to say that, that there was not trust in Abba from the get-go, because it always was. It was always Abba's inspiration. It was always Abba's uh, rule that caused him to come in and be the man of God that he was. Um, but, but, but Abba was actually the source of, for the conviction to meet the need, the urgency for the responsibility. My dad got that all from God. And so I love that my dad was so solid. And when we look at Scripture, we see that God is rock solid. We see this in, in, in the Scripture we just read. And then in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help 
in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Isn't it awesome that everything around you can crumble, yet God remains, yet God is steadfast. Everything in your life can fall apart, but you can always go to Jesus. You can always go to Abba. He will always be there. He's always got, because he is rock solid. Because you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's, let's worship God with reverence for our God is a consuming fire. He cannot be shaken. He will not be moved. God is awesome. He is so solid. So first of all, he is rock solid. Secondly, my heavenly father and my earthly father share is that they're awesome. Now, when I say awesome, I don't want you to just say, yeah, awesome, like it's a cool word. But awesome, the word awesome actually means expressing, expressing or inspiring awe. Like when awe isn't like, you know, everything's awesome nowadays. You know, we do that. We devalue words by just by using them all the time. We're like, oh, yeah, this bottle of water is awesome. Or, yeah, this hamburger is awesome. But really awesome means awe-inspired. Now, I have had awesome hamburgers before. Come on. Like I've had hamburgers that were just, uh, they're okay. And I thought, awesome. But the thing that separates the, the normal from the awesome is the, the, the awe fact. The awe striking, right? And so, you know, when, when, and that's where we get that word. We're like, oh, right? Oh. Like you see something and it blows you away and it takes your breath away and you're like, oh. That's where we get the word awesome because we're like, oh, Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? To be hammered, to be blown away by something that you've never experienced before. And it's just like the psalmist said right here in Psalm 40. He said, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. When we say that God is wonderful, we're not just saying that he's good. We're saying that he is full of wonder. We're saying that he is awe-inspiring. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount. Were I to speak of them, there would be meant too many to declare. You know, one of the things that I love about my dad is I love to hear him tell stories. You know what I'm saying? I just love to hear him tell stories. I love to hear stories of things that happened before I was ever, ever alive. My dad grew up in a small town in Arkansas, and he would, he would always tell stories about how he had had BB gun fights with his brother, which I think is pretty barbaric sounding. You know, he, he talks about how they used to go into, you know, watermelon patches and steal watermelons and break them in the middle of the road and, you know, just eat the core of the watermelon out. And I love to hear these stories about my dad's childhood and, and moments that I would And what's crazy is I could hear the same story 50 times. And every time it's awe-inspiring. Every time I'm at the, I'm at the foot, you know, I'm at the, the, the front of my chair just listening, saying, come on, Dad, give me some more. I love to hear, hear stories of when uh, his family moved to Odessa for work, and, and then he met my mom. And I love to hear the stories about how my dad started working in the oil field and, and how all that was. I love to hear him talk about these guys that he hung out with and the little things that, that he would say. I love to hear my dad talk about what we would call dadisms. You guys know what dadisms are, like the little sayings that your, that your parents say that you you pick up and you say, and I remember one time I was, I was with a spiritual son of mine and we were driving, I was driving my truck and we were just kind of laughing and carrying on and, and we were talking about being ugly. Now I, I know that I'm probably going to ruin your reputation because I was referring to something as ugly, but that's okay. You'll bear with me. So I, I remember like there was a saying that my dad used to say about someone being ugly. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that is like the perfect description of ugly. And then, so I, I remember just driving down the road. I'm like, what did my dad used to say? What did my dad used to say? You know, trying to figure out what it was. So I remember I, I called him on the phone and like I said, I had the spiritual son of mine with me in the, in the car. And I have him on like speakerphone or something. And we're driving down the road. I was like, I said, hey, dad. I said, what was that he used to say when, when somebody is so ugly and something about a buzzard? And he said, yeah. He said, back a buzzard off a gut wagon. 
<laughs> I was like, what? And me and, and the spiritual son of mine, we just started laughing. We probably laughed for about 30 minutes. I mean, how ugly is that to back a buzzard off a gut wagon? And, it, you know, for them, that was just normal saying, you know, a gut wagon, you know, where guts would be and buzzards like guts. So that person's so ugly that they'd back the buzzards off a gut wagon. Ah, makes sense now. So but when we're sitting here and we're laughing about this little statement that my dad would say. So I would love to hear his little dadisms, you know, and the little things that he would say and the things that I pick up and that I say. That I, sometimes I can't even think of the things that I picked up from him until after I say it. I'm like, oh, man, my dad used to say all these type of things. So these dadisms. And all of that comes from this heart that's just awestruck. That's just, wow, my dad. My dad is incredible. And, you know, this is how God is. God is a God of wonder. Again, we talked about it just a moment ago. God is wonderful. He is full of wonder. He is full of fascination. In fact, the, fascina- the, the, the desire that we have to be fascinated came from God because he wanted to be our, our main source of fascination. Um, God put the desire inside of us because he is revealing the endless wonder of his reality in our lives through the journey of knowing him. So as we go on this journey of knowing him, it's like God is like peeling back some of the things, you know, it's like, cause what happens if we, this is what happens as people is they get bored spiritually. See, if, if you stop growing in your walk with Jesus, if you're, if you can look back and say, Oh, I used to be so on fire. I used to be this, that, and the other in God. And now I'm just like, not where I was. If you can, if you can think that it's because you got bored. The only way that you get bored spiritually is by, by ceasing to look at him. By ceasing to spend time with him. By ceasing to be exposed to his presence. That's the only way you get bored with God. Because God is awe-inspiring. God is wonderful. He is full of wonder. He will blow you away every single time. I cannot tell you that I've ever got into God's presence before and been bored. If you're bored, it's because you're not in his presence. The reason why we think prayer is boring is because his presence isn't there. Or because we just don't pray. So you're like, well, what do I do? What do I do? You pray. You make the place. You provide the meeting. See, all all it takes for God to show up is for us to set up the meeting. All it takes to be amazed and blown away by God is for you to set up the meeting. We can do that on Saturday nights, but you can also do it every day at home. One of our emphasis at Overflow is discovering the wonder of God. Man, we are, that is like one of the things. We're like all about encounter. We're all about like falling in love with Jesus. We're all about revealing the mysteries. You know, we believe this is what Paul was about. All about just discovering the beauty and the wonder of God. And one of the things that uh, Ben and I were talking about this last week, one of the things that I love that Bill Johnson says and that we take it and I use it a lot and I, I, I repeat it a lot is that God is not hiding things from us. He is hiding things for us. And in, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. We talked about last week how we're royalty and these type of things. So, so God is not hiding things from you. He's hiding things for you. And so like when my kids come home from school, we kind of have this little ritual that we do. I hide or they sneak in the door and then they hide. And we're not really hiding from one another. I mean, we are, but not for the purpose of never being found. We're hiding to be found. And so God isn't hiding things in your life from you. He's hiding them for you so that on this journey of discovery, on this journey of awestruck wonder, you will discover things about God. And so what happens is we get bored spiritually because we stop 
looking for the things that God has designed for us to find. <clears throat> so, things I learned from my dad. He's rock solid. He's awesome. And thirdly, he is dedicated. Dedicated. This is almost a, a forgotten word in our society. I love this scripture. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 40. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. See, my, my earthly father has an incredible work ethic. I don't think I've met anybody ever in my life that has the work ethic, the dedication that my earthly father has. Uh, two weeks ago, my dad retired from a company that he had spent 35 years working for. And it didn't start off on the top. He started off working in a warehouse, moving stuff around, and worked his way up to be one of the top salesmen in this huge company. And after he retired, he sent out an email. He told me that he said, yeah, I sent out this email um, to, you know, bunch of people that I've known that are still in the company. And I just sent him an email, told him it's been a pleasure working with him, all this kind of stuff. My dad has an incredible reputation. And he said that he got about 80 emails back, about 80 emails back saying things like, Larry, you are the end of an era. There, there's, there's things about you that, that, we, that we don't see anymore in the world because we're not seeing this work ethic. We're not seeing this dedication. We're not seeing this kind of Devotion. See, our culture is driven towards comfort and convenience instead of valuing hard work or a life of dedication. This is not something we value in our, in our culture. The thing that we value most in our com- culture is being comfortable. But I think it's godly to value dedication, to value devotion. For instance, if we don't like our job, we find a new job. If we're doing what God tells us to do and all of a sudden it's not fun anymore... We find something else that God's calling us to do without completing the previous thing. It's interesting how we'll spiritualize our desire for comfort. We don't like our marriage, so we find a new marriage. And then we say that we were incompatible, right? Probably the number one reason for divorce in America, incompatibility. Let me tell you something. No two people in this world are compatible. Zero doesn't happen because you are completely opposite from anybody else. You are completely ingrained in yourself. You don't, so compatibility in a marriage doesn't exist. You know what makes, you know what makes a marriage successful? It's not compatibility. It's commitment. It's compromise. Oh, that's hard for us younger people to hear. Compromise. We're supposed to compromise. We're not supposed to compromise the word of God, but we must yield our will to the ones that we love. So you want to have a successful marriage, you're going to have to learn to compromise. You're going to have to learn that, that love is more about commitment than it is about feeling. More than about commitment than it is about comfort. It's quiet in her. Right? So that's just what we do in our society. It gets difficult, we quit, right? We reward mediocrity, all this kind of stuff. But I believe that God is doing something different. Come on, are you with me? I believe that God is is renewing a vow in the bride of Christ that says, I will be a dedicated, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I will commit to the end. I will press on. I I will fix my gaze upon him. Not because I'm so disciplined, but because he's so good. And I happen to fall and look upon him and call out and he answered me and placed me on a solid place hebrews chapter 6 verse 16 now when people take an oath they call on someone greater 
than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. God is dedicated. God has this quality. And I know that's where my earthly father learned it from. He learned it from his heavenly father. His heavenly father is committed, that he is devoted, that it is impossible for him to lie. What about a generation of people that it would be impossible for them to lie? It would be impossible for them to not commit. One of the things that has been crossing my mind today as, as I prepared this message, and I was looking for a place to fit it in, but I'll just fit it in here. When we speak of this word called refuge, or we see scriptures that say, you know, God is our strong tower, <clears throat> what you've got to recognize is that it's not, <clears throat> it's not just a good Christian cliche to say that God is my refuge, God is my tower. A lot of people don't even know when they're saying that, but, but what we get this, this, this picture from is that many times when kingdoms were established, there was like the epicenter of the kingdom, right, where the, where the, where the, the castle was, if you will, the capital of the kingdom, where the kingdom functioned from. But outside of that kingdom, many times way out in the, in the desert somewhere, way out in the middle of the field somewhere, they would have these towers called strong towers. And in Inside that tower, there were provisions. There were things to eat in that tower. There were, there were people there to, to help. People would work shifts. There were tower watchers. They would work in these towers. And so what would happen is if a warrior was out and he got left alone and he got left in a place where he couldn't function, then what he would have to do is he would just have to look upon the horizon and just look out for his tower and find his kingdom's tower and look for that tower of refuge. And when he would see it and he would see the flag on top of that tower that would be waving, he would say, oh, there's my tower. And then he, this is why David would say things like, I run to my refuge. And then when he, what would happen is when they would get to this tower, they would, if they were wounded, they would have things to mend their wounds. If they were hungry, there would be, a, there would be a company of people there to assist them with their needs. And this is what it, what it says about God. It says that God is so solid that he is a strong, firm foundation because he is so committed, because he is so solid, because he is so rad, because he is so devoted, because he is so always there, we can always go to him. And he will always provide for us what we need. He will always bring healing to us when we need it. He will always give, give strength to us when we need it. So in a culture that's so wishy-washy and masculinity is losing its fortitude, this is what I have to say. To the children and the younger, I would say look for a man to model. Not some sissy who is flippant with conviction, but someone who is solid with conviction. Someone that's a man. Look, they're there. You may have to find them, but it's a treasure that God has for you. To the single women, I would say this. Never settle for a man who can't be reliable. Never settle for a man who can't hold down a job. Never settle for a man who can't provide for you. 
If you want to be independent, you want to have a job, all that kind of stuff, great. But don't settle for a man who's just going to, that, that won't be able to provide for you if you need it. Don't settle for a man who can't control his tongue or loses his temper, who, who can't raise up a child. Don't settle for a man like that. You settle for a man, a real man. Now, he won't be perfect, but you better hope that his, his good qualities outweigh his bad. Come on. I told Leslie one day, I, I, said, I said, my heart's desire is to treat my daughters in such a way that they will never settle for a man that is not at least as good as I am. Because that's what we have in our culture, is that we have women that have had poor figures as fathers, so they go out and they find any guy that will sleep with them and make them feel a little bit better about themselves. Because they've never had a father that showed them what a real man is. So I'm saying, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a real man. I'm not, I'm not going to be wishy-washy on conviction. I'm going to be solid about stuff. And they're going to know I'm solid. So you know what? When they get around some testosterone-filled man, they're not going to have to worry about him taking advantage of her. Because they're going to know not to settle for a man that's weak like that. They're going to settle for a real man. So I want to make sure that my daughter knows what it's like to be valued and, and, and loved and not look for value in a man that's less than I am. If a guy treats her worse than I treat her, she'll say, oh, I don't need you. There's a better man for me. I know that there's a man at least as good as my daddy. So you're going to have to be a better man than I am. I ain't that good, but you don't have to be better than I am because I'm going to treat my daughters and value them that way. <laughs> to married women, if your man's not there yet, treat and value him as though he is. Cherish him regardlessly. Value him like he is that man. And if he is, then be grateful. And if he's not, then be grateful. Come on. To the man, I say man up. Be rad, <laughs> right? Be rock solid. Be awe-inspiring. And be de- dedicated. Be devoted. Be that man. Grow up. Be responsible. It's funny how guys want to get rid of all that testosterone in a woman, but they don't want to man up. Come on, you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, girls. I'm telling you right now. I'm not meaning to bash on the men, but men normally have one thing on their mind. They don't want it. They don't want to be like that, but they normally do. <laughs> right? We are very driven this way. So you be careful. Somebody needs a man up. Guys, we got a man up. We got to sit by, by, by calling ourselves ambassadors of this world as representatives of the kingdom of God. Let's man up. Let's be the men that the world is looking for. I'm not bashing on you tonight. But recognize your value in your father's eye and reflect his greatness. Because everything that I've learned from my father, he's not perfect. But all the good things that I've learned from my father is because he's a chip off his heavenly father's block. Right? So recognize your value, men in your Father's eyes and reflect His greatness.